Thank you, worship team, for leading us to the throne of grace. You know, we're a, a people, uh, Christians are a church of singers. We love to sing about our faith. But more importantly is we're people of the word. And all our songs should be centered on the truths of God's word. And we do our very best to choose those. But I'd like to take you into the word right now and actually read the passage that we're going to read uh, to study this morning. So if you're with us here and you have your Bibles or you're at home and we're so glad that you've joined us uh, online, uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 verses 11 to 18. And we're in a series called That You May Know because the author of this epistle is really concerned about false teachers drawing these young believers away from the truth. And so John is saying, I want to tell you something that you might know that God is who he is, Jesus who he is, and our mission is what it is. So let's look at this little passage here in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 and following. It says, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another we should not be like Cain, who was the evil of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murder has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. Oh, that should make us sit up and pay attention. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning to uh, clearly uh, understand your word and the practical implications that it has for our everyday lives, for our lives as followers of Jesus. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will do a mighty work in our lives today as we study your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, uh, you've probably experienced this as well, but uh, I've been out at times, and uh, there'll be parents, maybe it's a restaurant, or maybe it's a coffee shop, and the parents come in and their children are there. I was recently at a coffee shop, and there was this young family and these two kids, and there was an older brother and a younger sister, and it was amazing how uh, different the kids were. You know? You've noticed this ever? Maybe even in your own family. I know in our own family, each one of our children is significantly different in temperament and personality. These kids were like this little girl was sitting there with her toys, just being ever so quiet and sweet, probably just like I was when I was a child. I, I, this is my picture in my head. And the little boy was like a crazy monster. 
running around, touching things, and, and talking to people, and effervescent in his personality. And I just said, it's amazing to this mom and dad. I said, it's amazing how quickly their personalities come out. And it's like, I asked, so who is like who? And uh, the little girl was like dad in many, many ways, quiet. And the little boy, mom said, oh, that's me all over the place, you know, just, and their traits were very, very evident. And so maybe that's happened in your family, but uh, as I think about this, I, I, I come to this passage and I go, how true this is uh, in this passage, what we discover today. Today in 1 John 3, the apostle helps us to understand uh, family traits. And I believe that what he's saying to us today is pretty clear. Uh, we uh, have a family trait as Christians that we ought to live out but do we understand what that trait is? And are we living it out each and every day? Uh, John often teaches through using contrasts. If you look at what we've gone through in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he does a lot of contrast teaching, doesn't he? Uh, and you just learn a lot when you see these contrasts. So let me just <clears throat> see if, if this picture helps a little bit. There was a couple of brothers that lived a couple thousand or quite a few thousand years before John was writing this. And uh, they were siblings that had grown up together and had developed, it appears to be quite a rivalry. The rivalry got so bad that uh, the older brother killed the younger brother. And the older brother uh, had a, a serious uh, problem, not just with his brother, but with God. The, the brother didn't want to do life the way God had intended life to be done. So one day, the, the brothers are out in the field, and with great jealousy, he kills them. Why? Because just shortly before that, he had made an offering to the Lord, and his brother had made an offering to the Lord, and that offering from his younger brother was wonderfully accepted, and his offering was not. Now, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Story of Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel understood that God required an offering, a blood sacrifice. And uh, Cain said, you know what? I understand that, but I'm going to offer to God in my own way. Uh, Abel was a, a farmer of sheep and, and animals, and uh, Cain was a, a, a farmer of, uh, we call it cash crops nowadays, uh, wheat and vegetables and all those things. And he chose to step out of God's plan. Abel, we even see in Hebrews 11, it says that Abel made his offering in faith. He trusted God, believed God, obeyed God, and that was a faith offering. And that was not the same situation with Cain. And so God showed his disfavor by not accepting the older brother's offering. Yet if you look in that passage, we're not going to study that passage too much today. Even in that disobedience, God still attempted to show mercy and favor to the older brother, Cain. And said, listen, if you would just do what's right, 
This is Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. You would be accepted, but be careful. Sin is crouching at the door. It's an interesting phrase I found. Sin is crouching at the door. Isn't sin always crouching at the door? Sin is always crouching at the door, if you didn't get my point. Sin is always there trying to intercede and interject into your life uh, uh, attitudes, actions that are always against what God wants. But Cain thought, you know, if God wants a, a blood sacrifice, here it is. And he took his brother's life. And then in the end, when God says, out of it, uh, you know, God... God knew where his brother was, but he asked, where's your brother? And he goes, Cain goes, am I my brother's keeper? And Cain is basically once again saying, you know what? I don't want to follow your way. I'll follow my way. He knew that he was his brother's keeper. We're all our brothers. We're all supposed to look out and care for each other and show that by how we love each other. Then again, as I think about Cain and Abel, which is an amazing story, we'd spend lots of time there, I think a couple thousand years later, and there's another story. There's a story of these two young men. Um, They were pretty strong-headed guys. And uh, Jesus came along and said, follow me. And they did. And uh, Jesus even called them the sons of thunder. Know who I'm talking about? Well, the sons of thunder were these guys who had an, a really rambunctious spirit, even a spirit that could say, you could say was an angry spirit. But they're young men, as often young men are. They're full of uh, vim and vigor. And uh, yet Jesus called them to follow him, which is interesting to me, that Jesus knew their character, knew where they're at, and he said, it's okay. You follow me, and I will, I will transform your lives. They were so full of vim and vigor, even their mother was like that. She thought it would be okay to ask Jesus, can, uh, in, when your kingdom comes, can you have my one son on your right hand and my other son on your left hand? So I wonder, uh, was their vim and vigor, their, their being sons of thunder, was it partially nurture, not all nature? They grew up in that home where, you know, strong attitudes were. Another time, one of the brothers tried to stop uh, some other people um, doing some great works in Jesus' name uh, because they weren't a part of their group. And he was blessed so much so. He said, Lord, do you not want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Wow. Jesus still called them to serve him. He corrected them, yeah, but he still wanted them in his life and and following him. But time came along, and as they did follow him three years later, you can see the dramatic change in their life. They went from being angry to being affectionate. They became uh, from crankiness to compassion. They went from selflessness uh, to selfishness to selflessness. That's what happens when you follow Jesus. You get changed. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time here. Has the Lord changed your heart? Has he been working on you all these years? And you know that you're not the same person 
you used to be before you knew him. And so if you, if you know that right now where you're sitting, just throw up a little thank you to God. Thank you for working in my heart. If you're new to following Jesus, just know this. When you open your heart to Christ and you keep being obedient to him, he will transform you each and every day a little bit more and a little bit more. When you experience the love of God, you will become more like Jesus each and every day. And so these two brothers, one of them is named John. He was the one who became the apostle of love. Not the apostle of anger, but the apostle of love. The John that wrote this New Testament epistle is one of those brothers. His life was transformed by spending time with Jesus, following Jesus, he's the one that leaned on Jesus' breast and, and he learned to abide with Jesus. And so he was changed. And although I talk about the contrast between Cain and Abel and the two brothers with John, John and James, John and James are not the one that really, the apostle John here in this epistle, are contrasting. He contrasts and teaches about love using the contrast characteristics of Cain and Jesus Christ. The real contrast is between the heart of Cain and the heart of Jesus. That's what he wants to teach us today. And you see in chapter 3 four real contrasts, um, contrast of children and the devil and uh, children of God. The contrast between death and life. The contrast between hate versus love and the contrast, the clear contrast between Cain and Jesus. And this is where we really uh, can understand what God is trying to teach us today. Look at verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11. It says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. From the beginning. This is not a new message John is preaching and teaching. This was, from the moment he met Jesus, was the real life lesson that he was learning and continued to learn. As, um, do you have kids that when they learn something new, they just talk about it forever and ever? Do you have friends like that? Maybe you're like that, you know? When you learn something new, exciting, and powerful, you just want to tell everybody. And you want to bring them in on the excitement of that truth you've just learned. This is John all over. And it never waned. He learned about the magnificent love of Jesus. And he kept telling people over and over and over. There is an old church father named Jerome that uh, he was a very, very early Christian. He reported, and he supposedly knew the Apostle John, he reported that the Apostle was so, when he was so weak and he could no longer preach, uh, people would carry him into uh, congregations, especially at Ephesus, uh, where he preached so much, and he would give one short little exhortation. The exhortation was this, uh, little children love one another. That's what he'd say every single time. I remember when I was 
first uh, born again and in, came into a church setting that we had a pastor that his sermon, I could tell you what his sermon for the first 10 minutes, I could, I could verbalize it word for word, mouth it along with him, because he would always tell us about the start of the church, and then the tent, and then the bigger tent, and then the big tent, and then the building, because he was excited how God had worked to see that church come together. Well, this is a little different message. John would say, little children love one another. And so they got a little frustrated with him and said, why do you tell us that each week? You keep repeating it, and he responded this way, because it is the Lord's command, and if that is all you do, it's enough. I could stop right now, couldn't I? I could stop preaching right now. You could go home, and you could just chew on that. Little children... Love one another. And if that's all you do in Jesus' name, it's enough. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He loved us. And his love transforms lives. Back in John chapter 2 of uh, this epistle, uh, he talked all about love there. Much of chapter 4, the next chapter, is all on the same theme. As a matter of fact, five times John directly refers to Jesus' command that we love one another. 35 times in this epistle, John uses the word love. So do you think he's hammering home something of great importance? Absolutely. Why do we need to hear this again and again? Because our default mode is selfishness, not selflessness. Our default mode in life is usually it's about me. Not about giving up my rights and caring for others and loving them, but typically it's about me. And so again, John is using sharp contrast between Cain and Jesus, two different hearts. So the, the outline is fairly simple today. Uh, the outline would be because Cain did not love, he lost. Simple as that. Because Cain did not love, he lost. And people who love, like Christ, give. Can we remember that? I think we can. Because Cain did not love, he lost. And people who love, like Christ, give. First of all, because Cain did not love, he lost and he committed murder. Because his heart was just absolutely evil and dark, he committed what we might call the worst sin possible. He murdered. A heart void of love is ruled by the evil one. We've got to get that. Uh, without Christ, our heart is ruled by the evil one. Look at verse 12 in 1 John chapter 3. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. And murdered his brothers. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Somebody said uh, Cain became the poster child of the devil. You know, like the devil would say, I'd like you to meet my son, my child. And in, even in Jewish and early Christian writings, he serves as an example of someone who deliberately disobeys and disbelieves. It's amazing. Think about timing here. Cain and Abel, how quickly we went from that pristine, 
garden, beautiful place to live. And Adam and Eve chose to sin, and they were taken out of that garden, and they had children, and now Cain and Abel come along. I wouldn't expect too much longer, and not too much after their birth, the first murder occurs. How did that happen? Uh, I mean, I can imagine, can you imagine what Adam and Eve might have been thinking? How could this have happened? We used to walk with God personally in the garden. Now we're outside of the garden. Not only that, our, our child has taken our other child's life. What did we do wrong? Has anybody ever asked that question of their own children and yourselves? What did we do wrong? Maybe your children are not following the Lord. Maybe they've never followed the Lord. Have you ever asked yourself, what did we do wrong? I know lots of parents who've asked that question of themselves. And let me encourage you today. Sometimes you can do everything right, yet your children still make the choices to walk away from God and not enjoy the wonder of his grace and mercy. And you didn't do anything wrong. Everyone has the right to make their own decision. But the wonder of it all is prayer. Prayer works. Keep praying for those kids. Keep believing that God will never let them go, that he will draw those children who are wandering, who are far away from God. I believe that is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve and Cain. Once it happened, their prayer was, Lord, heal him, bring him back to yourself. The word murder, by the way, in this story is um, a really graphic one. It means to slit one's throat, to butcher. Cain butchered his brother. And that's why you can even see even more why you can call him, uh, you see why he's called that he belonged to the evil one. Evil. What is evil? That, is, that which is opposite. Active opposition. Evil is active opposition to good and to God. And it's always used in reference to Satan. His, his brother's was different. His heart was right before God. And as I said in Hebrews 11, he's in this list of faith-filled heroes. Abel. I like how God, even with Cain, said it's never too late. If you says in Genesis 4, 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Uh, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. There's hope. There's hope. There's always hope. That's why I say don't ever give it up on your kids because the Lord never gives up on your kids. He never gives up on your friends, your family your acquaintances. Well, because Cain did not love, he lost and committed murder. Secondly, because Cain did not love, he lost and he was overwhelmed with malice. So you've got murder and you've got malice in your life. That is bitterness and resentment. Maybe us, we can't really sort of associate with this thought of murder. I would never murder anyone, would you? no. I'm pretty sure that's your answer. But we see everyone 
who hates his brother is a murderer. Verse 15. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. See, this, the difference between murder and hatred in the heart is just the outward act. Think about it. It's just the outward act. Our Lord Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said of, the, of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is what Jesus said. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. The same judgment as if they had actually murdered their brother. So murder and malice have the same outcome, the judgment of God. I don't think Jesus could have been any more clear. If you're holding a grudge, this hatred amounts to murder. The judgment will be the same. Now, a little bit of a secondary issue here is, so a murderer can never go to heaven? Well, I think we just need to frame that a little bit more with the rest of Scripture as we understand it. We know that murderers can be forgiven because all sin can be forgiven. Uh, and once your sins are forgiven, you are cleansed. Once you, you are cleansed, then the access to God's presence is open. So there are men, did you know there are over 4,500 people in Canadian prisons right now who are there because they murdered somebody? The number may be higher because I think that, that stat is a couple years old. Could well be over five. I found that number staggering. Some might say it's only 5,000 people. But when you think of you know, a small country like ours, there are so many who took their malice and took it the next step and took someone else's life. But each one of those people and each person in that prison and each person in this room who has sin in their heart, myself including, when we get down on our knees and we send, surrender our hearts to Jesus and we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all sin. And so today, the contrast is so important. If we stay in that place of malice, there is no forgiveness. But when we come before the Almighty God and surrender that malice, he will forgive us and cleanse us. The third thing we have to see in this is when we have the love of Jesus, we are moved to be magnanimous, murder, malice, and now the positive side, to be magnanimous in our lives. Look at verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? People with the heart of Cain are miserable. <laughs> I love the word, the M words today. There's misery there. They have anger, filled, murderous hearts. They hate on others. They're, and now here he says they're indifferent to other people's needs. So you're stepping down even to the basics of life. You walk by, as verse 17 sees, uh, uh, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. That's like, I see the need, let me just shut that door so I don't see it. 
so it's not in front of my face. The word sees is, they, it's not just a, a, a simple perception, it's a, a deep knowledge. Sees. And closing his heart against him is that very um, determined um, action that says, I don't want to have any part of you. I don't care if you die because you're hungry and thirsty. And that's Cain's heart. That's Cain's heart. I've told you many times, I think, that you know, God did a real strong work in my heart when I would go downtown Toronto and I would get frustrated with those who were without and they were, they were begging on the street and I would have great negative attitudes towards them. That's Cain's heart. It's the heart of Cain. I didn't realize it and God had to keep on transforming me. He had to keep working on me and I had to learn that my job as a Christian was simply to love people. And even if loving that person, giving them a little bit of money to help them, whether they used it on bad things or not, that wasn't my call. My, the call that I had was to love them and just show the love of Jesus by simply trying to help meet a need. I, I hope that wherever you go and you see somebody and they have their hand out, if, if you can, just always keep a little change in your car, in your pocket, and just tell them Jesus loves you. Here, I hope this little help helps you. Without judging where they're at, how they got there. Be surprising how many people will be in heaven one day and say, uh, yeah, you gave me something to help me out that day, and I really did. We'll never know. But that's, that's the heart way. That's Jesus' heart. So enough about Cain. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about his heart. We're not, we don't want to be losers like Cain. We want to be lovers like Cain. Christ, because people with the heart of Christ are givers. There's no two ways about it. I love love stories. The older I get, the softer I get. Big blubbering mess when I watch some of the, the movies. I, I told you about Notebook. I watched The Notebook. Finally, after 35 years, Kathy finally got me to watch The Notebook. I don't know how long it was, but it was a long time. And I watched The Notebook. What a wonderful love story. It, it, it's a, a love story uh, about a young you know, late teens, early 20 couple that fell in love and uh, tells their life story. And I won't tell you too much, but in the end, what we discover is they got married, they spent time together, they grew in love more and more, and one partner got dementia, and the other partner just kept on loving, kept on caring right to the very end. What a love story. It's the kind of love story that you sit up and you take notice. When we contemplate the love story of Jesus towards us, he keeps on loving us, no matter what the challenges are in our lives. Even if the challenges are self-inflicted, he keeps on loving us. And it and it started, as it says here in verse 16, by this we know love that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus loved us amazingly. I, I, I'm going to give you three words today that help to remind us of the love of Jesus. 
Jesus loved extensively. Extensively. When we look at verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So he loved us extensively, so much that he took us from a, a place of death, spiritual death, to spiritual life. I love the phrase, passed from death to life. Most people in this world have no clear that they are walking dead. Spiritually speaking, walking dead. Because there is no spark of spirituality, of true uh, spiritual uh, life, uh, a life that is in right relationship with God, with anyone who is without Jesus. And when we come to Christ, we pass from death to life, and Jesus had to go to the cross to make that happen. Christ takes us from uh, judgment to joy. He takes us from sin to satisfaction, from death to life. Listen to Jesus in John 5. John 5, 24. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's what Jesus said. And John caught on to it. And again, one of those things, he never forgets, and he forgets this, and he keeps telling it over and over. The key is, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. In other words, there's a true, from the very core of who you are, a belief that Jesus Christ is who he is, and what he did was truly for each and every one of us. He is God become man. He did go to the cross and take my place, your place, and when you believe that with your, house, with your heart and you confess that with your mouth, uh, Apostle Paul says you will be saved. Saved. Brought from death to life. That's what salvation is, being brought from death to life. And when you know Jesus Christ, his love should show in and through you. And it begins with the brothers and sisters who are also in Christ. This is where John is fighting the challenge of false teachers who are trying to draw these dear Christians in these churches away from where they began, from the message. And John is saying, no, no, no. Whoever does not love abides in death. And these false teachers did not love. Go back to verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus loved extensively. Cain took a life. Jesus gave us life. There's the contrast again. To know what it means to love, look at the life and death of Jesus. If you're struggling with what it really means to love... Look at what Jesus has done. He died voluntarily for us. Nobody had to push him to that cross. He walked to it in his own and, and on his own uh, willing way. He died voluntarily. He died vicariously. There's a, a grand theological word, but simply means he died in our place. 
He took our sin upon him so that we could have a transformed life. And he died victoriously. He laid down his life once and for all. And when he cried, it is finished, it was finished. And all who came come to Jesus at, his, at that time, for the rest of the time that this earth is, is in this form, if you say to him, Jesus, I believe, he will save you. His love will save you. Most of us are familiar with John 3.16, right? So let's see if we can say it together. <laughs> let's try that. For God so loved the world that who... The preacher blew it. Preacher blew it. Let's try that again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, well. Can we take that little piece of tape and cut it? Forgot John 3. Just mixed up the word. You got it. You had it. Because it's the most powerful verse, I think, to talk about what it really means to love. Jesus came from the Father to take our place. But look at 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. There's, there's John 3, 16. But now we see a little more. And we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers, for our brothers, for our sisters. That takes John 3.16 and extends it a little further, doesn't it? It now talks about what we have to do, our part in this. John is calling us to have the same kind of love that Jesus had for us that we should have for others, particularly beginning with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This word ought to love uh, speaks of owing someone a debt. We have a debt to each other because of what Christ has done. We ought to love each other the same way. That's our debt to each other. We're called to lay down our lives for each other. It may not be physically, but it is in practical ways. How can we love each other? It's, it's, a, it's an important part of who we are. It's a critical part. Uh, so let's get a biblical definition of love. And I, I humbly offer you this one. Uh, a biblical definition, I think, comes out of a myriad of passages. But this is it. A self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. If you're writing that down, let me just read it again. So listen closely. A self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. Cain, again, was all about self-love. It's about me, he said. Christ is all about selfless love. This is love without limits. This is the love that we're called upon to show to brothers and sisters in Christ and to those in this world who are, are unloved. So Jesus loved extensively. Jesus also loved expensively. 
because I, I thought I'd have some fun with words here. Extensively, now Jesus loved expensively. You know, Jesus gave everything. And it's interesting, it says here, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The word surprise is a shock and a wonder. How could this be? The truth of the matter, if Christ was hated, then Christians will be hated. And I think you may even feel that more and more as the culture around us uh, is quickly shifting away from even um, respecting those who have faith in Christ. Uh, the great Matthew Henry was a pastor and a commentator years and years, uh, 150 years ago. He said this, Christ's followers cannot expect better treatment in the world than their master had. I think that's true, isn't it? Christ's followers cannot expect better treatment in the world than what Jesus had. For the Christian, the expense uh, Jesus loved expensively. For us, expensively may mean in terms of our relationship. It might cost you relationships to be true, sincere followers of Christ. It might cost you in uh, resources of time and money to show the love of Christ. If anyone, verse 17 says, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Uh, someone has said, a stingy Christian is a contradiction in terms. A stingy Christian is a contradictory, a contradiction in terms. It's, not, it's just not who we should be and must be. World's good is a combination of uh, two worlds, Two words combined in the Greek, cosmos and bios. Cosmos being world, bios being life. It's the idea of having something in this world that can sustain life. Money, food, clothing, shelter, something like that. If we have the world's goods and we, we want to be Christians that resemble our, you know, have the traits of our father then we need to be willing to share what God has given us. To open our wallets, to open our homes, and to open our hearts for the brothers and sisters in Christ. And for those who are lost and without hope, or without help, I should say, they have hope. Uh, we might, might not be called to die, but we're called upon to give. To give to the needs around us. Um, someone has said martyrdom is heroic and exhilarating. The difficulty lies in doing the little things which no one notices and no one applauds. Isn't that true? We all yeah, we love to see the big deal happening. But loving in a way that John is talking about, maybe some, most people, if any, will never know that we've done. That's true love when you don't get anything for demonstrating the love of Christ. Think about what James wrote. Uh, we've studied James last year. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So for people to see Christ in us, it's not just what we say. It truly is in the little things that we do. Okay, Jesus loved extensively. He loved expensively. And lastly, he loved expressively. Expressively. John summarizes here what it means to love like children. He says, little children, verse 18, last verse in this section that we want to look at. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth, expressively. Uh, You've heard the saying, talk is cheap. It's true, isn't it? Talk is cheap. A lot of people know how to talk a good talk, but let's see the walk, because talk is cheap. Remember the old little joke about the, the young man who's enamored with his girlfriend. He says, uh, sweetheart, I love you. I'd climb to the highest mountain for you. I'd swim the deepest sea for you. I'd fight a jungle of lions for you. And if it doesn't rain, I'll be over to see you later tonight. <laughs> talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. To love in word is simply to talk but uh, talk about someone's need, but to love in action is to do something about it. Love is. John is talking about a family trait here, and this is the key family trait that he has been talking about for years and years and years. Billy Graham, we all loved Billy Graham, and he's enjoying the glories of heaven right now, getting to worship with the greatest choir ever, Maybe he's preaching a few sermons of his own, just lifting up Jesus there. Billy Graham said this, God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. Talk is cheap. God just didn't talk about it. He showed it. He showed his love as Jesus went to that cross and died for you and I. Have you been transformed by Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Have you surrendered your life and confessed your sin and said, I I need you, Jesus. I need you each and every hour. Let me just tell you, if we have been transformed by Jesus, we must each day learn to live and to love like Jesus. That's a a huge part of the Great Commission. It is the tangible aspect of the Great Commission to go and preach the gospel, tell everybody about Jesus and to see them baptized. That, That begins with and it carries through all our Great Commission efforts to demonstrate the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and for your demonstration of that love from the cross and over and over again each and every day. We thank you for the Apostle John who continued to preach that message for years, for decades after Jesus ascended. And it's the message that we need to keep contemplating and sharing and living out every day practically. Help the Bridge Church family to be people who 
demonstrate the family trait of loving one another, loving this community. And as we do that, Lord, would you bring many to yourself? Would you encourage many of us and grow us, Father, so that we are more and more in number of those who will have that family trait of loving like Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.